Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and uh, welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph and QBE Business Insurance. I'm Brian Moore and joining me in the studio today is The Telegraph's Rugby News Correspondent, Gavin Mayers. Coming up on the podcast, we'll be speaking to, well, a host of guests including Rob Andrew, Mike Blair, Shane Williams, Tom Court, Kath Spencer and to talk all things Six Nations. We've also got the Hull FC coach, Lee Radford. We're joined by... The Australian journalist Alex Broom to talk about uh, Super League and Super Rugby, respectively. Nigel Owens, as always, will be joining us. And remember, you can ask him or any of us questions via the hashtag full contact. Every week you can join us on Facebook Live at 6pm. Just search for Telegraph Sport and you can listen to the whole show live on the Telegraph website. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and please leave a review. Well, on with the show, we've got, we've got a host of questions and we were bound to with this weekend's action. Um, Gav, England-Scotland, let's start there. I think we need to start there. You, were you at Twickenham? I was at Twickenham yesterday, Brian, yes. And, um, when, well, when, wow. <laughs> when, when people review performances, they quite often are dishonest. They're not purposefully dishonest, but what they do is they take into account what they now know and how the game's gone, as if yeah. that was always going to be the case. Yeah. Oh, it's obvious now. You know, Scotland are not the team we thought, or, you know, England are much better. That wasn't what everyone was saying before the game. And that is where, if you do it properly and honestly, where you have to start. So we go back to that point where I must admit I was genuinely unsure about how to grade England's performances. Yeah. We knew that Scotland had been playing well. I think. Generally, it was accepted that if they played well, they could pull off the first victory at Twickenham for 34 years, and yet it didn't turn out like that. I've got very firm ideas about about why, but I'd be interested to hear your Yeah, well, thoughts. it's funny you say that, because we did, a, we did an event at the Telegraph with Kenny Logan on Friday, and yeah. he was so adamant about Scotland's chances and he was talked us through why the threats would come and you know talked about the staleness in, the, in this Scotland side the attacking verve yep. and, and and you're right I mean Scotland came to Twickenham on Saturday with realistic hopes yes. of a first Calcutta Cup since 1983 yes. and actually a victory would have kept their championship hopes alive as well and they were demolished I mean this was the moment I think when England 
lit the fuse on their championship. We, we've seen sort of the performances so far were enough to get them across the line, but mm-hmm. I think yesterday we saw England, uh, even without the Vunapolas back on the field, which was the incredible thing. I looked at the I looked at the scoreline and thought they're not even on no. yet. I was I know, my, my my assessment was, you know, when when Eddie Jones empties the bench. That's where we're going to see the power play from England. Well, England have scored a lot of points in the last 20, haven't they, yeah, in the, in the yeah. games? Um, I, I, only he knows why he did this. But the yellow card in the first two minutes was so monumentally stupid, I, I can't even understand the thought yeah. process. I'll tell you why. Because everyone understands you're built up, it's a big game, you want to make an impression. You know, you know the Ray Gravel thing, get your get your first hit in early, <laughs> even if it's late. Well, the thing was, he was never going to get Elliot Daly, man and ball, Fraser Brown. Yeah. He knew he that wasn't. Was so it was, so was going to be a late tackle yeah. if he made contact, yeah. which would probably be a penalty yeah. in the first two minutes, yeah. unnecessary, yeah. just about kickable. Yeah. That's bad enough. Yeah. But then he chose to do a tackle which he knows everyone in world rugby has been concentrating on for... Well, five years since the Sam Warburton one. Yeah. The spear tackle, we all know how dangerous it is. We all know how referees are going to referee it. Yeah. It would either be a yellow yeah. or a red. Yeah. The fact that it wasn't a red was due to a margin of probably an inch yeah. or two with Daly landing on the top of his shoulders. Yeah. And thank God he did, because otherwise it would be in the back of his head. Brian, we were, we were shocked. I, but but, but, yeah, but, you, but So you've, you, you've made the decision to hit him late and then do that. Now, I... To come to Twickenham to win against this England side, who most England sides do play well at Twickenham, much better than away, yeah. and win for the first time in 34 years, you you, you can't do that with 14 no. men on the field no. at any point. Yeah. I think he was lucky to get away with the yellow as well. I mean, my my first reaction... I, I, thought, it was, I, thought, I thought it was a borderline red, but I thought yellow, probably because of the way Daly, fortunately for him... Yeah. Landed, but it, but it is arguable. But I just think World Rugby, you know, with their with their the emphasis on, you know, the height of the tackles and and the dangers of the spear tackle to land. But like, it wasn't shoulders. even a tackle because no. he didn't have the ball. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's and he, he dropped him. You know, he was up above perpendicular, landed on his shoulders. And I think if it hadn't been the second minute, it probably would have been red. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe. But the thing is, from that point on, for me, what was going to be a difficult. Uh, task became almost impossible because the uh, the playing field, which was level at first, just tilted majorly towards England, and they then put ten points on them. When Brown came on, he'd been sat on the bench for ten minutes, you know, kicking his heels. Came on, had to do a throw, threw it over the back, overthrew it, and scored again. Yeah. So, you know, the, you, once you give yourself that handicap, yeah. you're not going to win. And the and not only that was you could see the effect it had on Scotland by the fact that Finn Russell chose to try and run on his own five metre line, yeah. a ball which, you know, you should have gone off the field. Yeah. Um, because they were obviously looking at the pressure of the scoreboard, which had been created Already, by this. Yeah. And then all the things throughout, and, you know, Scotland will say, look, we made loads of mistakes, and they did. But a lot of that was for, was dictated by the position they found themselves in after this act, and also the fact that England, it's all right saying, you know, they're down 14 men or they gave you this or they gave you that. Still got to score. Yeah, yeah. And uh, England, well, well, I'll have a chat to you in a bit about the, the, 
what I consider to be the cleverness and the way the way they did that. But once that had happened, did you see at any point that Scotland recovered? No, I don't. And I, I, I mean, it was almost a little bit like the way Italy unnerved England with the, the non-ruck. Mm. I think Scotland's heads were gone in that first 10 minutes. They lost a man. England easily accumulated 10 points. Suddenly, you know, for them to win at Twickenham, everything had to go their way. They, they then lost Hogg as well, didn't they? Hogg's gone. Suddenly, you know, the back line, how many times was their back line rejigged? Three, four. You know. Uh, two scrum arms on yeah, one point. Uh, and it, you know, suddenly, it's they, their heads are gone and, and England suddenly in their pump. And I think... I, I genuinely hope from a Scotland perspective that they they use this experience. It was humiliating defeat for them, but Fern Cutters developed, you know, a genuinely potent side. But this was the first time away from home they've been really exposed. Well, they've got to put it into perspective. Yeah, it was a bad day or an awful day at the office, but that doesn't take away from the fact that they they played well and they beat, um, you know, they beat Ireland, um, they beat Wales. So. They, you know, could have beaten France. Could have beaten France. Yeah. So, the, the the problem they've got now is they've got so many injuries and yeah. and and people who are looking at assessments, people who are, you know, having scans and so on. I'm, I'm not sure what sort of um, squad will turn out in the next game. But leaving that aside, I just want to make these points. England were as as clever as Scotland were dull in many aspects of the game and. I, I just bumped into Steve Borthwick, the forwards coach, in the in you know just outside the ground afterwards, and I said to him, you know, I, I was very impressed, but by the forwards, but the intelligent play, and by that I mean this: the first try, when they gather the ball in Scotland down to uh, forward down, so you don't have two men out the back. Yeah. They they gathered to drive it, feigned to drive it, so people came in. Then it went round the corner quickly, shot round the corner, got over the gain line. Ball went wide. There was only one trailing runner who yeah. couldn't cover everything. Yeah. Um, and then at other times, like the Vunipola try, you know, they did actually drive it. Other times he put it off the top. And it, it meant that constantly the Scotland back row didn't know whether to come in, stay out. They couldn't fly all the time. Someone had worked out really well. And so they didn't have the influence it had in the other games. Yeah. And then when the ball went wide from a taking the ball into contact point of view not only did the forwards take it up Jack Noel took it up a couple of times and they weren't running one out they were going to the point of contact shipping it one on which meant people coming at a slightly different angle the tacklers couldn't get first up tackles so they made yards after the contact got over the gain line that means you know the defenders have a longer route yeah. into the breakdown. England have a shorter one. And again, that kept Scotland back row away from a lot of the action uh, and they couldn't slow the ball down. Yeah. I think as well what you saw, uh, and we, we look at that, we were analysing it today for the report for the Telegraph tomorrow, but you know, to score three tries from first phase possession for Unusual. Is, is, you know, is remarkable in Test Match Rugby. And I think part of that and, and you made some very good points there and then the execution that England have with Ford and Farrell together I think yesterday we saw you know that they combined brilliantly to put Elliot Daly away in, in Cardiff yesterday I we thought we got two you know two genuine I know it sounds silly because everyone passes but 
there are passers and, and passers, passers yeah you know yeah. and both of them and are, vision they're, well know. they're distributors yeah, aren't they yeah yeah and you know it, it's funny because it started off almost if you look back a year ago it was almost a short-term fix mm. but there was injury problem Manny Tulangi wasn't going to be fit is he going to be fit he wasn't going to be fit uh right we'll just go forward Farrell sort of a year on this now looks like the partnership that will go all the way to the World Cup and could possibly be a Lions partnership as well. Or Joseph, you know, he, he took it. It's all right. I mean, France broke the English line four, well, certainly four times, maybe five. Searing breaks into yeah, the open, yeah. no tries. Yeah. England, you get behind, you've still got to score them. Yeah. And, you know, but let's go back to how they were created. If you look, which is partially a comment that will come on to Wales, but it's easy saying to defenders, you didn't do that, you didn't do that, you didn't do that. But when the ball comes out, you could see defenders have a difficult job because there are dummy runners coming there and there. Now, who do you take? Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. <clears throat> who do you take? Because if you just stay on the man with the ball and ignore a dummy runner coming at an angle and he gets the ball, he's through yeah. and probably scores. Yeah. So you've got that decision to make. You stay for the dummy runner. What the, It's basically this. The inside defender, if he makes a decision to go in, everyone else has to come in. Now, that does leave a gap outside, but that's a long pass and you yeah. can maybe cover it. Yeah. But what you can't have is two going in and one going out or one going in two, because then the gap comes and that's where it happened time after time. But it only happened like that because England got the decoy runners right. Yeah. Now, just go back to the Wales game. People were saying to me, you've talked about creativity. We scored three tries. I said, yeah, but the short range one or two of them but also still really power based and still go back to the Liam Williams try set piece from you know where, where he was done under the post with no one touching because the defenders were set so many problems You and the other thing is this in international rugby the players are so powerful and they're at such speed that you will not stop them if you guess and you just have an arm tackle they'll be yeah. through you yeah. so you have to definitively commit to a real shoulder, full-on challenge, one way or the other. Yeah. And if you get it wrong, and let other people, then that's it. Yeah. But I, I just made the point: if Wales had that sort of artifice in their uh, armory, they would score many more tries. Yeah. yeah. Um, whether the players are capable of now adopting that, I don't know, because this has been a while developing with England. Yeah. And, and Eddie Jones sort of simplified it all last night in his assessment. He just said, look, we have more power than Scotland. That's our point of difference. And when it comes to the collisions, when it comes to forcing the opposition to commit to full-on tackles, England just had that edge. Scotland have developed a great attacking side, some great footballers, and uh, you know a, a, re a competitive back row and a, a very talented second row. But if you look at Man for man, pack for pack. But you could say that about Wales and uh, Ireland in res in relation to Scotland, that those two teams you know, probably have uh, more power, certainly in runners. Yeah. Um, and yet Scotland cope with them. And I, I believe the difference is this. If you are set a relatively uncomplicated defensive task, which just requires really hard work, concentration and courage to put the big men down, put your head there, you might achieve that. If you have big men at pace and you're set all these questions which you have to answer one way or another, then at some point you probably you might make a mistake. And if they're good enough, which England were, then they'll score tries. And 
that's the essential element because that's what you see. That's the difference between, say, the old South African sides, which yeah. were just yeah. brutal and yeah. very effective, yeah. and what New Zealand have, have now posed. Actually, what Ireland did for some parts of the game against Wales, but yeah. Wales were good enough to defend it. Yeah. Um, you know, they're constantly asking defenders to make decisions, split-second decisions. Um, sometimes you'll get a lot of them right, which Wales did, um, and sometimes, like Scotland, you won't, and that's what happens. And I think, Brian, as well, you know, you talked at the start of the programme about looking at context. Scotland going into this game yesterday, one of the sort of standout features of their victories and their and their run of form over the last 12 months, they've been brilliant at converting points in the opposition 22. Yeah. Very few chances. They will score points. Well, they scored three tries. Like Likewise, in defence... Uh, there's not, you know, they have denying the attacking side points in their 22, and I think when you look, you add those two things together and look at just how uh, easy England uh, were able to break them apart and score some great, you know, Twickenham was on fire yesterday, and I think we should, it was actually, we, yes. should we should say that was a phenomenal performance by England. You know, we should just recognise what they did to Scotland. They lost their way. They had men in the bin. They had injuries, but. England, which really impressed me, went for the jugular. Mm. And, and I think for the first time in this championship, you know, Daly's foot. Well, actually, they could, have had, they could have had another couple of tries if Mike Brown had looked outside him. Yes, um, yeah. You know, Mike is a, is a character. He's played so well for England. He's, you know, he's got so many attributes. But, you know, if you were a winger, you'd be saying, mate, that's my ball. It's a two-on-one. That should go. You know, um, and... You know, if when he recognises that, if he recognises it, then he'll be an absolutely complete player. But at the moment, you, when you look at a Lions battle at fifteen, him yeah. and Halfpenny, yeah. one of the things that Warren Gatland may judge is that actually, yeah, we do all these things, but yeah. you know that ball has to go, and that might be the try or the yes. chance yeah. which wins us a game. Yeah. So if it's you or someone else, yeah, might pick Hog who you know puts the ball away or whatever. Um, the only other, I mean, this is. A, a council of perfection um, is, you know, if England could hook the ball to the back of the scrum, yeah. then they'd have the option to either drive it or play it. When it stays in the middle of the scrum, that's it. Yeah. You know, you know, and it was messy. Yeah. And that's the only area yeah. that England were messy in at all. Yeah. The rest of it was super crisp, and even accounting for Scotland's performance, that did not account for the margin of the victory. No, it didn't. Yeah. You know, that yeah. England's. Um, accuracy, England's inventiveness and intelligence, rugby intelligence I think made up the rest by, you know, and that's yeah. the explanation Yeah. what about um, well, it, was a, it wasn't, I don't think you could say it was a tremendous game of rugby, but it was a fantastic contest yeah. down at the Millennium Yeah. No, I mean, it's oh, spelt, sorry, it's, the uh, Principality Stadium yeah, it's called, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was spellbinding, you know, because it, I mean Friday night rugby is a difficult thing for supporters, but if you're an armchair viewer, you come Play, in. You players watch it. love it. Yes. Underlines. Yeah, yeah. And Ireland went there knowing they had to win, possibly with a bonus point to make to, to sort of set everything up for Dublin uh, next weekend. Wales smarting from their defeat, and 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 for once, it's funny because you know Cardiff used to be a happy hunting ground for Ireland yeah. for so many years, but I think in the sort of last six, seven years, probably since the 2011 World Cup when they met in the quarter-final, if you remember. Yep. And Ireland were probably favourites with that, having beaten Australia. But they managed to outthink Ireland and uh, uh, the likes of Warburton and Tipperick, brilliant defensive displays. And I think what will have disappointed Joe Smith, I think, 
it, Wales in the position they're in and it wasn't a position of confidence they were going into that game they might have been sort of jogging fighting for their lives mm. but I, I sort of felt they outthought Ireland and Ireland seemed to be limited in their their ambition and try to sort of just tell you what they did well as well legally completely legally they got after Conor Murray and Jonathan Sexton yeah who both were were battered yeah um, and you know within the law um, but it, that to me had an effect and I uh, and, they, yeah. and unusually I mean Stander was taken off yeah um, the Welsh back row were and Moriarty is a big factor in this yeah you know they were absolutely resolute on the gain line contact stop which makes as we saw with England and Scotland makes the it, it, it's everything if you stop people dead on the gain line yeah they have to play flat they have to play slow often once they get over the gain line you can pour forward get quick ball and everything is different from an attacking and defensive perspective and with Wales stopping O'Brien and Stander a lot of the go forward that Ireland had got you know in, in other games just wasn't there and yeah. they were forced to you know and, and then the outside defence was resolute and so on yeah um, I think of the, the other the broader uh, significance of that performance as well is if I was Steve Hansen I would be looking at that saying that's how you stop Murray and Sexton, and mm-hmm. if they're going to be your Lions halfbacks, we can we can close that down. Well, we've got Lions Watch later on, so we'll. <laughs> I think we'll have to extend Lions Watch to about ninety minutes tonight. In association with QBE Business Insurance, principal partner of the British and Irish Lions. Now then, to uh, join us is a former colleague of mine, former England fly half and captain, five times a Lion former professional rugby director at the RFU, now chief exec of Sussex Cricket, nicknamed Squeaky, not, not for reasons which people genuinely believe, but for reasons which I can't broadcast, certainly this side of the, of the, <laughs> of the um, well, the watershed. Uh, yeah, um, it's Rob Andrew. Rob, good evening. Hi, Brian. Nothing like you to fabricate, <laughs> fabricate things. <laughs> How are you? Hey, listen, I'll tell it. No, I can't. Um, where has that performance been hiding? Uh, From England, obviously. Yeah, I don't know. I think they've just been stuck in second gear, haven't they? It was um, very frustrating. I suspect Eddie's been pretty annoyed with them in the last couple of weeks. Um, they haven't they haven't been able to get on the front foot either, which is what you I know just been catching the end of your last conversation. Yeah. Um, and and maybe Nathan Hughes hadn't got them on the front foot in the way that Billy has been in in the past. And they just looked a little bit flat, to be honest, whereas... A lot of that was down to the starts, wasn't it? Mm. This was the first time they got, well, partly due to Scotland as well, but, you know, they looked really sharp right from the outset. Yeah, and I've, I look, I think a lot of it's in the mindset, and, and it was a bit... You, same with Wales on Friday night. I mean, Wales looked hungry, a little bit of anger in the mm. Welsh performance as well, I suspect, from the, some of the previous performances and the mauling they got in the press and I think England just looked they just looked sort of at it on on Saturday you know yesterday right from the off and maybe you know subconsciously a little bit of complacency creeping in you know why did why did Eddie send Jonathan Joseph home and not pick him for the Italy game you know Mm. if that was if that was about complacency and sort yourself out then I think it was a message that Jonathan (laughs) Joseph obviously took on board 
Rob, as Gavin Mayer is here. I, I, to- I totally agree with you there because I think Joseph, I mean, that's pretty much sort of four weeks. He's been like, it was like a coil spring yesterday. And, and, and I think, it, you know, we spoke to the likes of George Ford and couldn't, you know, thought that was his finest hour in an England shirt. And we, it just, I, it'd be lovely to hear your thoughts just on the combination of Ford and Farrell as a, as a former fly half yourself. Yeah, look, I think that they're, they're both fantastic rugby players. I've said it for some years now, you know, having watched them play for England under-16s in 2007 yeah. <laughs> uh, against Wales. You know, they, they're very, very intelligent rugby players, first and foremost. Obviously, different types of player, um, both with a, with a, a very strong skill set. Um, Owen obviously brings a, a pretty hard edge to his, his game physically, but... But so does George. You know, George is a tough kid. Yeah. Um, he doesn't back away from anything. Um, and and they're, they're both, you know, it's interesting that they have settled now sort of playing together. And there was always this question of, of you know, whether there was a, a 12 missing. Um, yeah. And the yeah. combination, um, and Eddie's got a few options with Dahlia and Dahlia, and he can put um, Ben Teo in there as a sort of, Almost a Tuolangi look-alike. If Manu's not going to come back, you know, or, yeah. or get back to form, so. But it's just the control they put on the game, which is which is outstanding. And do you think, Rob? You know, have they done enough? You know, the, over the last year, I think I was going through the records today. I think it was maybe only the, the the first test in Brisbane that he decided to change that partnership and start with Farrell, and it actually only ended up probably. 29 minutes or so and they, they took Luther Burrell off and they were reinstated it, it, have they done enough do you think it, to go through to the to the World Cup now? Well, I mean it's hard to say that really isn't it it's a hell of a long way through to the World Cup but um, what it has done I think probably in Eddie's mind as well as everybody else's is sort of said well actually unless unless I can find a better partnership unless I can mm-hmm. find a better sort of that 12 to come in and, and, and force the situation that then makes him choose between Farrell and Ford at 10, which doesn't yeah. appear to me and bearing very close. In, and bearing in mind, he's got to give that combination sufficient test time, hasn't he? Well, correct. That's the other thing, isn't it, about playing in the midfield. Um, you, you probably wouldn't know about that, Brian. But, you know, you need to <laughs> I played every skill. position in the back well, school, you, bar you wing. You tried to. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you, you do need... Timing and and playing together, and, yeah. you know, having a, a midfield that that can work off each other, and certainly when you look at the way they played yesterday, and I know that Scotland sort of were on the back foot and, and and they were dropping off a few things, but when we've seen those three playing well together, they are, you know, it's a very potent. I mean, the only thing that 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 would be the question is is if you're up against a big side, you haven't got a massive sort of ball carry in the midfield, so you yeah. have to you have to look at you know using at the other, using other players, and I think that's where they've actually missed Billy and Mako yep. in terms of carrying because when they're both playing, they're almost like a a tag team of carriers. You know, one goes, he takes three or four defenders with him, then then Mako comes around the corner, and then Billy's off the floor and goes again. You know, they 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 are I think they're the the two people that. That really get England on the front. You know, and Mako is a genuine. You know, he's a genuinely you know, good ball handler because you've seen him do the walk he's around brilliant. and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Just a question here from uh, 
I pour ease, it says. Dummy runs seem to open opportunity, up, open up opportunities. Would many of these have been obstruction years ago? Uh, no is the answer, they wouldn't. But can you give um, your view on the way in which England pulled? Because I've, I've given my explanation, but you know, you, you, you've run this. The way that England pulled the Scotland defenders this way and that, having to make decisions who they cover dummy runners and, you know, and, and where you put the strike runner in. Yeah, I think that I think the, um, the the sleight of hand and and the the timing of the passing, particularly from Ford in particular, mm. um, Owen Owen as well. But I think I think Ford at his best, and if if slightly on the front foot, mm -hmm. which they were yesterday, particularly off those lineouts. The yeah. lineouts went really quick, very clever, yeah. And then the ball, they. You know, that was real front foot. That's probably as quick as I've seen England produce the line-out ball for some time. And and they were actually at the defenders before the defenders could get at them. Mm -hmm. um, and they were sort of almost across the game line right from the off. And if you've got two or three options of passers and runners, you sit the defenders down quite early. Um, and and if you then it's a question of do you pick the right pass? Um, and I think that's George, in particular, is very is very mm -hmm. good at sort of picking. Does he go out the back or does he does he hit the front runner? Um, and and trying to judge where the defenders have gone. And Scotland just seemed to separate a little bit in the, in the midfield defensively. Well, they all they all made different different decisions. Some went in, some didn't. They can't do that. Yeah. And once that happens, then it's down to the attacker with the ball. To, to pick the right pass and, and they just mm. you know, pretty much pick the right pass. Well, several you know, times, you... so several times you, you saw defenders, you know, shoulders out, and then you know there's an inside. Art. You, you as soon as you see that, you think there's going to be a gap somewhere. Yeah, and, that, and that's um, that's where I think again, sort of at best, sort of Youngs and and Care, but then if, then with Ford and Farrell, when you've got two real quality playmakers yeah. who see those see those keys when they're when they're running and this is all happening at the hell of a pace remember yes. you've got to pick pick the pass and get the the depth from the defender george george does attract he gets very close to the the game line um now again a bit like wales did to sexton if and murray if you close that space down um and get in the face as the defender then you make that much more difficult, which is sometimes when George gets put under pressure, mm. you know, it's a much more difficult game. But when you allow an England team with that amount of pace um, and the decision-making quality to get on the front foot, actually you're, ch you're chasing shadows. Finally, Rob, you got a lot of stick for this. Um, you got a lot of stick for everything, actually. Uh, some justified on some, some not. <laughs> yeah. But when you gave that interview, you know, before the the recent World Cup and you said actually this side's potential really is only going to be seen from about 17, 19, you know, 2017 onwards. Um, was that something that uh, well, I think it's going to be proved to be right but was that just obvious to you or was it partly you know partly clever not clever uh, partly wishful thinking? No I think I mean to be honest Brian it was um you don't need to be a rocket scientist to sort of look to work it out and look at the average age and the average caps yeah. going into the 2015 World Cup um, and, and what those players would be like with another 12, 24 months, A, of, of 12 tests a year, 
plus you know another two one two three four years as players because the average age is for for those guys we've just been talking about they're still only 24 23 yeah now watson joseph ford farrell um noel in the backs in particular but then the vuni polars and and the Mario Todges of this world, who are going to be the standout players in this team for, for some considerable time. I mean, most of that lot will go to 2023, never mind 2019. Yeah. So it was, you know, it's pretty clear that they were... That, I mean, the question I was asked was, is this team peaking in 2015, i.e., is it compared to the 2003 team? No. And, and the answer is no. Yeah. Which is, you know, which is, in, in hindsight, certainly, he's right. Rob, um, good luck. Uh, have you started the season yet? Must be nearly, nearly it's rem- remarkably, yeah, remarkably, remarkably. We, we have a we have a warm up game against Surrey on the twenty second of March, starting at home. Right. Well, it usually four, snows, doesn't it, around that? Well, exactly. I mean, yeah. it's um, so. I, I think um, four days after the Six Nations finishes, um, be gloves uh, and woolly hats on the cricket. Well, thanks very much, Rob. Uh, good luck. Cheers. Thanks, Thank Rob. you, guys. Take Thank care. you. Um, from the other side of uh, the coin, so to speak, we can now speak to Mike Blair, the former Scotland captain, Scrum Half, and now coach at uh, Glasgow Warriors. Uh, good evening, Mike. Evening, Brian. How are you doing? From your point of view, you had a lot of your charges there. You know, Glasgow have played very well this year. We've all seen what they can do. I just wonder whether... You were surprised, and if so, to the the extent to which you were surprised, at the way in which Scotland reacted when you know adversity came upon them. Yeah, I mean it was um, it was obviously a very difficult start to the game with the with the yellow card to Fraser mm. Brown, um, the early try, and I, th- I thought we we looked shell shocked after that. It, mm. it, it looked. Um, like we weren't too sure how to how to deal with the situation. We actually had a, a decent few phases of play in around the ten minute mark where we got to kind of ten, twelve phases, but it wasn't the kind of attack that, that we'd showed in the previous game. It was quite uh one out and, and we end up going for a, a drop goal at the end. So yeah. I I think there was that element of, of being shell shocked by, by what had happened in those um those opening minutes. Well I think that that's probably the only way I can account for players we've seen who we know are very good, who we know, you know, certainly at club level and at international level, you know, have withstood lots and lots of pressures. Because when you see, you know, kicks, penalty kicks, which you need to make to go into touch, to establish a position, to give yourself some respite, and not making touch, then you can only think, well, you know, this has had a wider effect than just, you know, just physically or whatever. When when you're making decisions to go wide off on your own five-metre line, you... I, I, you look at these players and you think, I, I don't know, you know, why you're, you're doing this. Yeah, well, it's it's difficult. You're, you're talking about Finn Russell's past on, on his own line, and yeah. um, you know, we've had this discussion before with with Finn Russell, and um, you know, he's an incredibly talented player, and he's he's in that phase of his career where the, where teams are starting to to look at him a bit more, and he's he's not a nobody anymore. So he's mm-hmm. he's got to be a little bit more careful with what he's doing, but. At the same time, you know, there will be games that he'll play in and, and internationals that he'll play in where that pass will come off. You know, he did just undercook it. What what he'll have seen there, he'll have seen, right, well, actually, we've got a three-man overlap if I can pass this ball over the top. And, yes, we can we can say, 
you know the the man the 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 management of the game's not right. But from a, a vision point of view, mm-hmm. I think that's what he's seeing. It's just what he's got to be able to do is he's got to be able to quickly react and say, right, we've got an opportunity here. However, this is what's been happening in a game. This is what we should be doing. So, so the, there's a real positive the fact that he's seeing the opportunities, but also there's the the learning factor where he's got to see where where the the situation in the game, as as you say. Um, uh, Mike, do you think? Um do you think Finn missed the presence of of Laidlaw yesterday because it seems to have been his best rugby? You know, he, he that experience that Laidlaw brings as a partnership just maybe takes a little bit of the pressure off him. Um, but perhaps I mean you know Greg's a, a very experienced player and and he has that um, you know ability to to manage the game around him, but. You know there was a there was a lot of disruption at at nine as well with with um, Henry Pargus coming on so early due to the other injuries. Ali Price having to move out to the wing. So you know that that disruption. Um, you know I'm not too sure. Maybe Greg would have stayed at nine had he been on the pitch and um, you know been facilitated in a different way. But um, you know I, I think this is a great opportunity for the guys in there at the moment who have been put into to really difficult situations. That you know that that start of the game with the yellow card and then the injuries in the first twenty minutes. It, it reminded me of when when Scotland played Wales in two thousand ten, and you had the um, you know two yellow cards at the same time being down by fifteen points and Wales coming back into the game, or or when Stuart Hogg was sent off in the game in two thousand fourteen. It, it had that feel about it that yeah. that. Not not everything's going wrong, but the, there was there were different situations coming out. There was there was yellow card, then there's injuries, then there were decisions on the pitch, and it just seemed like um, there was there was too much going on for for the players to be able to manage. Uh, the the fallout from this, Mike, difficult in lots of ways because Vern Cotter won more game, um, and it must have been a shattering experience because right from the well, the second minute, you know, Scotland were on the back foot, never recovered. A uh, lot of injuries now, a lot of assessments and scans going on. Um, what do you do to minimise the fallout? You know, psychologically, certainly, the physical stuff needs to take care of itself, but uh, psychologically? Yeah, it, it's it's fortunate that, that we've got a game straight away against Italy. And, you know, if you had that two-week break between games, I think you'd... You'd end up mulling over a lot more and uh, probably getting a bit more depressed than um, that you would in in this situation. That the the scenario now is there's a there's game on Saturday, twelve thirty game on Saturday. I'd imagine they'd have travelled back up today. I'm not too sure. Maybe have tomorrow with with family and what have you. And then you you're straight into it. There's, yeah. there's probably one, maybe two, you know, decent sessions going in. So it's it's fortunate that there's there's such a quick turnaround and. That that Scotland will, will look at things that went wrong, and and there were a few things that that did go right with with some of the attack um, at periods, and they're like, right. Well, well, we need to we need to build in that. This this Italy team, they, you know, they pushed um, they pushed France in that first um, first half. I thought they they manipulated England um, in in their game as well. So, you know, the, I'd imagine Italy have a few things up their sleeves. So it's important to take the lessons from this game against Italy. And move on because if if someone had said at the start of the the campaign you're going to beat um, Ireland at home, Wales at home, mm-hmm. and Italy at home, I think 
you'd, you'd, you'd bite the hand off. And, and that's the situation that we're still in. If we, if we beat Italy, then, then I think it's been a, a very pleasing championship for us. And Mike Warren Gatlin was there yesterday. He was up in Edinburgh midweek and um, was speaking really, uh, sort of uh, had strong praise for Scotland's players this, this championship. Do you think yesterday's result will have set back a number of those boys who had their hands up for the Lions? Uh, I hope not, because I, th- I think you get selection for, for the Lions through consistency of performance. And I think a lot of the, the Scotland players have had huge consistency in their performance. And and because you have a, a game like that, I I don't know what Warren Gatlin thinks, but I I don't think you know it'll have some sort of effect. He'll he'll, he'll have a look at things again, but but hopefully it, it shouldn't count too much because of the consistency of these these guys' performances so far. Thank you very much, Mike. Uh, no wise words. Uh, thank you. Thanks, Mike. Time to speak to the current London Irish and former Ireland prop. Tom Court. Tom, good evening. Hi, guys. How are you? Not too bad. Um, was, it was it was billed as a must-win game for both sides. Uh, something had to give. And uh, Ireland gave and Wales took in the end. Uh, in your opinion, you know, what were the significant uh, differentiators in the game? Uh, well, I guess um, you've sort of got to compliment both the defences to start out. Both teams defended brilliantly, but if you watch Wales and, and they sort of just really the variation in their attack and Ireland just Ireland couldn't really get any penetration you know they seem to be just rumbling it up for most of the day through the forwards and just banging against the brick wall I think the Welsh defence was, was getting off the line really fast obviously um, you know you've got to give credit to Sean Edwards with his work but um, you know Ireland I think just they lacked that little bit of um, variation they just weren't really changing the point of attack much and they just didn't really make too much headway. And then you take, again, they had a couple of opportunities, you know, one maul down on the the line early on and then obviously the maul in the second half where I think they um, pinged Robbie Henshaw for yeah. just sort of slipping in ahead of Rory, which, to be honest, was probably going over anyway. So, you just, you know, it's one of those things of taking the opportunities and Wales did. Tom, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, how frustrating do you think the forwards would have been in that <laughs> in that moment? You, you know Rory Best well, as I do. Uh, it was already heading towards ground. I mean, would that have been an instinctive reaction by Robbie Henshaw, do you think? Or yeah, it... I mean, you know, obviously sometimes you see it these days, you know, it's getting a metre or two from the line and, and the backs want to sort of offer something and get involved, so they sort of fly in. But I think obviously... <laughs> After Johnny May's um, performance in the scrum earlier in the year, <laughs> and uh, now obviously Robbie Henshaw, which obviously it's easy enough to watch it back, and in hindsight yeah, you can sort yeah. of say, look, it's going over anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, obviously it was only ever going to be good intentions from Robbie, and he yeah. probably thought he was going to help. But in the end, it, it's just one of those things where I know it sounds a bit harsh because obviously the forwards always slag off the backs when they do units meetings and forwards are scrumming and mauling <laughs> yeah. and backs are usually playing football. Kicking and catching, yeah, kicking and catching. But it's one of those things where sometimes maybe it is just better just sticking to what you, what you know. What you know. But Tom, is there ever a trigger? I mean, seriously, you know, in that sort of situation, is there ever a moment where there's a trigger to say some of the backs to pile in? Or do you think that literally would have been a, a heat of I the mean, I'm thing? sure... I'm sure it's mentioned to the backs at times, and to be honest, usually it comes from um, usually it comes from the scrum half. Whether he's yeah yeah obviously directing the troops, and he'll be saying he'll usually just yell them and call them in, and 
usually one of the biggest, stronger backs. Somebody like Robbie Henshaw would be able to add a good bit of yeah, momentum yeah. and impetus to it. Yeah. Like, he came flying in. So yeah. um, I've no doubt he'd be able to add something to it. It's just obviously making sure you know what you're doing if, if you're going to fly in because, you know, that could have realistically been a turning point for the match um, that could have swung the other way. So, Tom, the, the contributions of, well, in particular, Tate Furlong, uh, CJ Stander, Sean O'Brien, taking the ball forward, getting over the gain line quickly, making yards, recycling the ball, has given Ireland so much, and yet we saw very little of that. How much was that down to resolute uh, defence by the Welsh, and how much was it down to perhaps just not getting it right, just not clicking with the, the timing of the runs, the depth of the runs, the flatness of the pass, and so on? Probably a bit of both. I think, um, obviously, up until this point, you know, CJ Stand has been immense. Yeah. Um, Tad Furlong, I think, has been a standout performer, considering his age and the fact that he's scrummaging at tight head for most of the match and still trucking the ball up 70, 75 minutes into a match. You know, he, he's been amazing as well. And I think you have to give credit to Wales because they just obviously targeted, they knew who was going to be trucking it up. They sort of knew who was going to be coming at them. And they just shut them down really effectively. It was pretty much always two defenders in the tackle. There was very few one-on-ones. Um, so I don't know whether it was maybe a bit of a lack of... It's hard to say coming from someone like me, but you know maybe a lack of footwork or um, whether it was just obviously getting to this point in the tournament where Wales have obviously been able to analyse three games now and have seen what's going to be coming at them and have sort of snuffed it out. Um, I, I mean, I was sitting there looking watching the match yesterday thinking the same thing is just how do you get in behind these guys mm. how do you draw them into the tackle and and get a bit of game line because we just we really struggled they just kept hammering us down so and Tom obviously the Ireland boys will be devastated by that result and the championship sort of showdown next weekend now is 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 done but you were part of that team in in 2011 the squad in 2011 that that stopped our, uh, England winning the grand slam um just can you give us an insight into sort of what will motivate this Ireland team um, on Saturday? You know, they can prevent England winning a successive Grand Slam since 92, prevent England um, creating a world record for successive number of test victories. Just a little bit of insight into how Ireland will prepare for this week. Well, I guess obviously it'll be playing in their minds that... Um you know the championship is gone and um, I think over the years especially from my understanding as well from being in camp a few years ago it was always the the biggest match of the Six Nations was always Ireland versus England for Ireland anyway it always felt that way preparation wise um, you know motivation wise you could just see it in the guys building up to the week that were a little bit extra tense there was a little bit extra passion in training just Whatever it is, whether yeah. it's just that age-old rivalry between Ireland and England. Funnily enough, Wales seemed to always be Ireland's bogey team, even though England was always the big sort of match built up. You know, yeah. I just wonder whether, obviously, looking ahead to this week, whether they just a few boys took their eye off the ball last week, or it's hard to say. Like you couldn't fault the Irish boys on the weekend for their passion and energy and effort. It just didn't really work. Whatever it was, the combinations, but. I mean, this week, obviously, even a few years ago with the Six Nations where, you know, England came in with the Triple Crown and there was the tweets and the photo and everything like that. And then the following week, Ireland came in and won the championship and then there was the, you know, the 
I guess, the response tweet with photo and everything like that. So there's always, um, you know, a little bit of niggle and it's always a little bit edgy between the teams as it is. So I think England on the verge of having the record for the most consecutive wins, obviously the form they've had leading into this um, tournament and then through the tournament is finally starting to come good. I just, you know, I don't think Ireland ever really needed any extra motivation for a game anyway, but being back in um, Dublin um, in front of the home crowd and just, if nothing else, pride on the line for what they're trying to should, what they're trying to achieve and what they're trying to show, um, I, I don't think it'll stop them. I think they're going to be coming out absolutely firing, like in the same sort of in the same vein as Munster used to come out when they're at home and in some of the big Heineken Cup games, you know, with the blood boiling and probably a few tears rolling down the cheeks in the national anthem. So, well, I'm sure uh, I'm sure they won't lack motivation. It's very simple, isn't it? Do you want these arrogant whatevers coming over here, lauding it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? We all know the, we all know the strip. Whether it will be effective, we don't know. But thanks very much, Tom. Thanks, Tom. No, thanks, Brian. Thanks, guys. Oh, yeah, serious point. I mean, you yeah. know, it depends how curmudgeonly and uh, contrary and belligerent you are as a by nature. But that sort of negative um, desire is very powerful as well. So. Yeah. Um, and actually, also, I, this isn't you know. Rob is telling you, I think I was in the last England side to do a successive back-to-back Grand Slam. There have only been five yeah. in the whole history of the five and six nations because it's difficult. Yeah. And it's like this: first one, you've got the thrill, anticipation to spur you on. First one, you etc. It's great. Second one, it's like do the same again. Yeah. You can't get yourself... It's not the same mental challenge because you know that you can beat everyone and you have done and more of the same is not actually that, you know, impressive of a galvanising message. So it requires real focus and and setting your own sense to get the thing done, Um, you know, which is why when you look historically at the New Zealand side, why they've been so good because they have accepted the favourites mantle home or away and time after time have gone and done that. And to a lesser extent, the great sides, you know, the South African sides uh, have done this and, and you know, Australia and so on have been able to do that. And it, but it is a, a different challenge. Um, and, you know, we'll see whether England can replicate. What they need to do is they need to be very game specific. No thought about the wider aspect of world records or set grand slams or whatever. Right focus, individual moves like they did in the Scotland game, obviously, how to vary the line-up, how to get your runners away, how to split the defence, and so on. No thought of other things outside, because it only gets in the way, and it actually of no use whatsoever yeah. on the field. Yeah. Um, we can speak to Shane Williams, the former Wales uh, British Lions ringer, record try scorer. Uh, where have you been today, Shane? Uh, hello, I've just... <laughs> just <laughs> sorry, you caught me in the way, then. Um, I've... I've it's not a sinister uh, question. I'm just, you know. <laughs> no, no, I was, I was too busy listening to you there. So, um, yeah, just just come back from Rome. I I, yeah. uh, I was working with with, um, with ET and, and France game yesterday. Yeah. I managed to catch the uh, the England match as well in in, in parts. But did you uh, did, were you at, uh, would you have flown out before the? Did you get to the Principality or you watch it on TV or? 
I, unfortunately, I was travelling um, oh. the same day as the right. the, uh, the, uh, the Wales Island game, so I I missed it unfortunately. Okay, and, well I tell you what, I'll ask I'll ask you then um, uh, more generic questions about Wales. Uh, I was on Twitter um, and I got the usual response, um, which I can't print or pronounce on air from a lot of people when I said this you know if Wales had more creativity in their backs they would be such a better team and then people saying they scored three tries to nil you know what are you talking about and all I meant was this is when you've got power players who can get over the gain line if you add to that the questions that England posed of the Scotland backs defenders whereby they're pulled here and there after make split-second decisions, power runners will have even more room, uh, and yeah. so on. You you were good enough, because you were quick enough, and you had the feet to make your own things, but what is uh, to what extent is that right or not? Yeah, well, I, I did manage to catch the game afterwards, but I oh. think with... With the, um, I think it's variety, isn't it? Mm. It's it's not being easy to read. It's having variety in your back line and uh, and really mixing things up whilst you play. Now, Wales haven't really done that until they played England. However, England's defence was very good against Ireland. They involved George North in the game very early on, which which then um, makes the Irish defence very aware that George North is hitting short, you know, angles off the likes of. Bigger and, and Jonathan Davis, and then having the, I suppose the the sense then to play with width, when perhaps uh, you, you're thinking that Ireland are going to defend very tight. So it's 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 about boxing clever, you know. It's not about sending runners up the middle, uh, like Wales have in the past with the likes of Jamie Roberts, and keep doing it for 80 minutes. It's really keeping the the defence guessing, and and you know, and, and I suppose like, like they say, it's a battle of attrition, isn't it? It's boxing clever and using your strike runners and. Wales haven't really done that, um, the Six Nations. They did a little bit against England, where they attacked the width, you know, mm. used likes of Liam Williams and looked quite dangerous. They did it in parts against Ireland as well. Um, and I think it's just about you know, which areas to attack defences, and, and Wales really haven't done that. They've got the players to be able to do it. They've got some great strike runners. Um, it's just they haven't really created that much. And Shane, one of the things that I think everybody should give Wales massive credit for in this tournament and I think it's it's constantly overlooked they've given up their head coach for the Six mm. Nations for the for the greater good of the four home unions and um, you know the, we, we, you know the RFU won't let Eddie Jones pl- go and you know Vern Cotter and I think Wales sh- you know Wales have uh, you know buy into the Lions uh, spirit but could, can you give us a sense of just how much of a disruption that might have been for this specific championship Oh look, I, th- I think you know uh, Warren Gatland going and Will the W and allowing Warren to go as well. Just go government faith they do have in Rob Howley uh, to begin with, and you know he is a coach, a good coach. He's had criticism for some of the defeats and so of the players, but you know I think w- with Warren Gatland being allowed to do the Lions and obviously not having much uh, to do with Wales at the moment, just goes to show that. You know that that they believe that obviously they believe in the spirit of the British and Irish Lions. They want uh, they want Welsh contingency in the Lions and so on. But they also have the faith in Rob Howley to continue doing what he does and does well. And I imagine Warren Gatland still has quite a big part to play in in what Wales have been doing in the Six Nations. And with Warren and his personality, I can tell you for sure, 
Jan just gone away and said nothing for the last six months. <laughs> I, I, I trust me, he's not going to want to come back and have to restart and you know restart the way he wants to play. So I'm sure he's still heavily involved, but it, it just goes to show that that the you have massive faith in the coaches they have underneath all that work with Warren Gatlin at the moment and. I feel for Rob a little bit. He's been criticising some of the players. But to respond like they did against Ireland as well, you know, I'm, I'm really happy for the whole uh, for the whole of the team and the squad and and the coaches as well. Shane, moving on to a Lions aspect, and you're eminently qualified to make these uh, judgments. Like a lot of like a, a lot of positions, the back three is open to lots of interpretations. Some players have played well. Some players have played badly then played really well you know and it all comes down in the end to the combination as well um can you give us your thoughts on who might be a starting uh three i'm not that you're i'm not pretty asking you to put money on it but whatever or your thoughts about who who may be in the frame uh yeah it's it's a great question i think it's you know i think going into a six uh sorry into um a lions tour you've got to be playing well because when you get over to New Zealand, it's not as if um, you know Warren Gatland's going to pick players that are going to grow into a tour. Mm-hmm. You've got very little time to be playing well, and I think you've got to be playing well consistently for your club and for your country. Um, you know that's why you know a player like Stuart Hogg at the moment, it would be very difficult not to select him. Um, you know there are Lee Halfen, he's been playing exceptionally well. Mike Brown perhaps hasn't had a Six Nations like he has over the last two seasons. So it, it, it's a very diff, difficult one. I, I, you know, for me, if I was selecting a team, it would be on how how this how the players are performing for their club and their country because you haven't got time to find form. Mm-hmm. You, you you get over into New Zealand and straight away it's very difficult. You need to be playing well. So you know, someone like a hog uh, at 15 at the moment would probably deserve a place. Um, you know, I, 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 I've been, I, I'm impressed. I like Jack Noah. I think he's a, a really good player. He works very hard, and sometimes doesn't get the plaudits of, of, um, you know, of the likes of the, of, of the May and the Watsons and these guys and Daly at the moment as well. But there are some very good players. There's also players as well that, you know, are, are starting to perform well. Uh, George North hasn't had, you know, the a Six Nations like he usually has. He's been in and out of games, very inconsistent, and then. You know, brings out the performance against Ireland in a game that that needed a big performance from George North. So there are a number of players putting their hands up at the moment. We're very, very lucky that we have these elections. Well, that, I mean, George North is the absolute opposite example of what you're saying because if you look at his club form over a few seasons now, it's been, you know, it's been in and out. But you yeah. could say that's because Northampton's form has been in and out as well. Um, and yet, you know, from past tours, what he can do. You saw. Uh, on Friday night, what he can do, and yeah. yet there are players who are on better form. What yeah. weight do you think Gatlin will give to what Stuart or what Lancaster used to call credit in the bank, uh, and as opposed to form right now? Yeah, I think credit in the bank is is, is a big one. I think you know Warren knows knows George very well. I think uh, I'm using George as an example now because, like you say, he probably hasn't had the best of seasons. Um, you know. He was quite quiet against Italy, and then he scores a, a 60-yard try with a dead leg against Scotland. Defensively, he was very poor, uh, wasn't involved heavily in the game. Um, but then, when when the pressure is on someone like George North, he goes and and, and performs like he did against it, uh, Ireland, and 
you know, um, scores the two tries, but but was heavily involved in the match. So he, he's definitely shown he's got the ability to do that. But it, it's yeah, it is always a factor. I think, you know, you've I think as a as not that I would be a line selector, but you've got to be playing players that are that are playing consistently well for your clubs, and that's why you know the likes of jo, uh, jo, uh, sorry, uh, a Stuart Hawke. Uh, definitely would be penciled in on that plane, mm-hmm. and you've got to look at players that are playing form on consistency as well, and which which gives confidence. You've got to be a confident player in New Zealand because yes. it's the toughest place in the world to go and play. And if you have any doubts, you will get caught out. Yeah. Uh, will you be down there? I will be there. I will be there. Um, I'm, I'm going over initially to do um, a charity cycle, and then I'll be staying up for the three tests and. Um, I hope you. Um, I hope you're bringing your boot, boots, Shane. <laughs> no, I am deliberately not bringing my boots this time. I do not want to be put under that pressure once again. Let me tell you, it, it nearly well, ruined my tour. <laughs> well, I, I saw you on that tour when you had to do this, and it was like I don't know what's going on anymore. This is just, just this is bizarre. It's a twilight zone. Anyway, Shane, um, bring I know them, you're very bring uh, them, Shane. Yeah, bring them. You'll you never know, them. mate. Thank you very no, much, Shane. Not, no. And good luck for the. Uh, Good luck to the cycling uh, thing. I know it's charity. Thank you. Cheers, guys. I'll catch you soon. Thanks, Thanks Shane. Man. Thank you. QBE Business Insurance, principal partner of the British and Irish Lions. Time to talk to top international referee Nigel Owens, who was the assistant ref during Italy, France. Um, Stuart Barnes, not Stuart Barnes, Wayne Barnes, well, Stuart Barnes as well, actually, gets a load of stick. Um, but it, I, I thought he refereed tremendously well. Nigel, can you explain to us what referees look at when they are at the breakdown and players go over the ball? Always claim, funnily enough, that they can't move when they're on the wrong side of the ball. Uh, don't seem to do that when they're on the other side of the ball. But you know, and what happens? Who should do what quickly? And also, just sorry, it's a bit long-winded. But secondly. Um, the way in which referees are now starting to uh, differentiate between players who can't get out and players who are being held in. Yeah, it's a tough one, Brian, isn't it? Mm. Um, I, I think the priority at, at, at the contact area is, is, is the tackler, um, especially when you have a two-on-one tackle where one guy, one guy goes low and then a lot of the other players will tend to go high because they want to prevent the offload. And when that goes to ground, then unless they move away, then the ball presentation is delayed. And a split second, half a second or a second is enough then for defence to align themselves. So it's very important as a referee that we that we're aware of that and we and we get rid of, of the tackler out of the way. So it all happens at the same time. So you're not only looking at the tackler, the ball carrier and the arriving players. Um, it's all within a split second of each other. But but your first priority is the tackler. You want to ensure the tackler rolls away or makes an effort to roll away. And sometimes, in all fairness, sometimes on occasions when there's a lot of bodies there, it is difficult to move away. And we also are seeing now as well in, in the game, I read the game a couple of weeks ago where I called the, the, the captain over and said, look, um, if your players continue to hold people in and look for the penalty, I'm going to be penalising you and, and not them. So that does creep into the game now. So as a referee, you look at the tactic to move away because he has to move away in order for the ball carrier to do what he needs to do. And then you look at the ball carrier, he must then present the ball or do something with the ball immediately and then move away and make the ball available as well. And then you have the arriving players arriving and they must do so on their feet, through the gate, um, and uh, they must support their own body weight. So when they come in to clear somebody out in the ruck, um, 
they must make the initial contact. The referees will look at it um, as a plane landing and a plane taking off. If the plane is taking off, you come in low and then you take off to take somebody out and then you go to ground beyond that, then that's a fair contest and it's play on. But if you come in like a plane landing, you just come in low and just go in on the ball to prevent the contest, then the referee will judge did that prevent the opportunity of a turn of a ball? And then if it does, then you get penalised for, for off your feet. Sometimes somebody may come in and go off their feet and the referee thinks, right, OK, he's gone off his feet, but there was nobody here from the defence to play that ball, so yeah. it hasn't had any effect. And then those are the ones that the referee sort of put in the pocket and let go and, and have a word then. Nigel, do you take into account anything done by the person allegedly trapped? Because quite often... You, if a player is wriggling, you know, and tr- you can see they're trying to make a physical effort to roll away, um, well, that's one thing. Players just shouting and being held in uh, doesn't mean anything because they could shout that anyway and probably do. Is there yeah, anything that uh, is there anything uh, uh, you know that person can do to assist you? Um, yeah, sometimes, Brian. They, 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 <laughs> the players are not dull. Uh, no, they're, they're, no. They're, they're not dull. They know exactly what they're doing and what's going on. Now, some of them will try and show you a great effort. It looks like they're getting away and they're making all the effort, but, but they're not. They're making it look to you like they are. And then sometimes you'll have other players who are, are not showing an effort, but are generally trapped in. So you've got to judge it all on its merit as it happens, really. Um, the, what you look at is like this. If, if a player puts himself... Sometimes you make a tackle and you land on the, the wrong side of the ball carrier, if you like, on the floor, on the wrong side... And that's because the dynamics of the tackle, you come into the hard tackle and then you've gone to that side. Not often. It's up to you then to go out of the way as quickly as you can. If you don't go out of the way, then you're going, you're going to get penalised. You only have yourself to blame if you do so. Sometimes you will land then on that side or to the side of the ball. The ball is available and the referee can see the ball available. So you're not affecting the presentation of the ball. And then the referee will play on. Sometimes... If you are held in by the opposition, and it does happen, we, we can't kid ourselves here now, and the nature of the game it is now, and we need to be aware of it, players are being held in to try and prevent them rolling away. But if you put, that, if you put yourself on the wrong side, then you have to bear in mind you're going to have to take the consequences, but you also then have to be aware and deal with the guy who's, who's holding you in and preventing you go away. And if he's held you in and prevented you going away, then that penalty may not happen and you'll have a word, look, I, you let the guy go away because if you'd have let him go, then you would have gone away quick enough. Um, or you judge it irrelevant he was holding you in. You were in the way anyway. You're going to get penalised and I'm going to have a word with the guy who was holding you in and he doesn't do it again. So there's a lot of different situations that you have to look at in their own uh, in, in, entirely as it happens rather than sort of in the whole complex of the game, you know? Nigel, in conclusion, this goes back to um, points you were making. It would all be a lot simpler if players weren't extremely cynical and, and devious um, and honest. Um, but that's not what players are like. It's not what coaches are like. What do you as referees do? Because it's always, you know, you're like the person who's trying to prevent hacking You know, in IT. You're always going to be a bit behind the curve because people are inventing things to try and <laughs> stop you doing your job. What what scrutiny and, and how do the top referees get to hear about the current trends for you know bending this law, bending that? And do you have specific meetings for them or what? Um, look, the, the, the players will, um, or coaches, they, 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 
they'll push the boundaries of what they feel they can get away with in the game. And let's say, for example, there's an old adage we use when I do a course with the young referees. Um, when the players get the offside line, if they're standing with a step in front of the line and you don't penalise them, they know, right, we can step in front of the line here, it's not going to penalise. If you penalise them, then they know, right, okay, he's going to penalise for staying in front of the line and we need to step back behind it. So, yep, this is, this is where you find, when people say, well, why are they changing the laws all the time? Well, we're not changing the laws. Sometimes we have to bring out the directive because the players have found a loophole or the coaches have found a loophole in something and then they push the boundaries on how they do things and then we have to bring something in to, to counteract uh, because they're trying to find a loophole in the, in the law how you're doing something. So, yeah, you know, the, you're always challenged as a referee or players are always push um, the limits of what they can and what they know and that's, this is where your best players know what with this referee. Players will... You know, referees will look at trends and teams and stuff before refereeing them. The players will do exactly the, the same when it comes to, to the referee. So they'll know, we've got this referee Saturday. He's going to be very strong in this area. So they know we're not going to push the boundaries here. Then they have a referee think, well, he's not as strong on this area on the offside line. He's not as strict as other referees. So we can really push as much as we can on the limit on this. So they will do their homework on the referees as well. So, you know, it's up for us, the referees, to just to referee the laws of the game, really. Okay. Nigel, thank you very much. Um, super explanations, as always. Um, I hope you get home all right. <laughs> Thanks, Nigel. Cheers. All the best, boys. Just before we uh, go to the great game of Rugby League, um, I want to mention the Women's Six Nations. The weekend's results, as you know, they parallel with the men's Six Nations. Italy 5, France 28, Wales 7, Ireland 12. Um, Scotland uh, women, um, well, they, they were better than the men in the end, in the sense that they kept the uh, England score down, well, anyway, like 64-0. So that sets up... The final denouement, which is England against Ireland, uh, winner take all. And uh, the best of luck to, to both teams, I think we should say. Yep. But uh, if you're English, from my point of view, then even more luck to you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Lee Radford, the Hull FC coach. Um, second row for Hull Sharks. Bradford Bulls and Hull FC coach since 2014. He's here to take us through last week's Super League action. Good evening, Lee. Good evening, fellas. Mate, first of all, can I mention... The sad demise at the age of only 65, former Widness captain Mick Adams, who part of the uh, great Widness side of 70s and 80s. Um, eight Challenge Cup finals he played in, including replays. Did, did you know of him? Did you meet him? No, no, I ne- never came across mm. him, um, unfortunately. But um, obviously sad to hear, to hear the news. And I think obviously the minute silence, minutes round of applause today at the game as well. So... Um, you know, it was nice that witness, and I'm sure they'll, they'll pay you know some more respects to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, disappointing from from a from a rugby league point of view. Yeah. Uh, well, it wasn't uh, disappointing for you. Uh, you know, over the weekend, I think a a win, 24-14 against St Helens. You're six points out of eight now. Uh, is that what you expected at this to the return or? Um, yeah. No. Look, we 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 you know in pre-season we spoke about. Making sure in that early part of the season and, and sort of the middle part of the season, making sure we're you know we're in we're in touching distance within the you know the the elite up there because you know last year um, I just felt we got our 
our spike in performance probably at the wrong time of the year. We did we didn't maintain that right up until until the end in the Super Eights, and I think if that's one um, thing we did learn from last season, then then that has to be it. So you know, making sure we're up and amongst it throughout the season is really really important. But making sure you're hitting your straps when them Super Eights comes around and the, the Challenge Cup quarterfinals and the semi, you know, all the big games. Yeah. Um, that's when you need to be, you know, at your best, and and hopefully that's something, um, you know, we'll be able to manage to do this time round. Well, I posed this question question on Twitter, and you had varying degrees of response. I was just saying, what the hell is going on, you know, with uh, with Warrington at the moment? And I, I, I you know, I, I saw the game, I watched the game against Wigan, and they were just second best most of the time in a way which must be very disappointing. You know, they they can only partially blame a couple of of injuries, how can a side start so well with the Brisbane Broncos win and then um, just not perform? You know, and this is four games in a row now. So yeah, it's, it's a you know, and I think you know for them as well. I think in terms of finances, the 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 you know they're right up there in, in what they do yep. in terms of salary cap. Yep. And if you look at what they've got off the field in terms of facilities, they probably pay. You know they have better facilities than anybody else in the competition as well. So I think for them they'll be hugely disappointed with with where they're sat at the moment. But I've actually done that um, myself playing for Bradford. We, we played a World Cup challenge. It was it was the first game of the season back then um, against Penrith, and then lost our next three games. Uh, you know you put an awful lot of emphasis on that game because mm-hmm. you know I suppose the weight of the British game is on your shoulders for, for, for that one-off event and. Um, to say it takes a little bit out here would be an understatement, but uh, but at the same time, if you look at you know the players that that are entering the field for them, you'd expect them um, to be picking one or two results up. Certainly, you know coming into round five, four, five. Now Huddersfield, you know they had a, well they had uh, McGilvery back, Kajoy, uh, um, and a couple of others, and yet thirty points to nil um, against Lee, not taking anything away. From Lee, who scored five tries, but I was actually quite shocked about that. I think that if you look at the the round this week, I think that's probably the shot result of of the round. Yeah, for sure. I think you know if you look at what they've got on paper compared to the to the Lee side, very evenly matched in a lot of departments. So for them to you know concede as many as they did, and and obviously not register any points as well. That, that because we we played obviously Huddersfield the week before and. You know, if you looked at the team, the players they had missing, um, you know, phenomenal for for a team this early stage of the season, I suppose, to have that that amount of players missing. But they had a goal, they turned up and they had a dig. Um, so what you know, what quite went on against Leah, I've, I've no idea, but I'm sure they'll be scathing with with that result and you know wanting to put some rights wrong, obviously this weekend coming. Uh, Leeds Rhinos, a big, big win uh, against Catalan, and um, the, the coach was saying. Look, I wanted to say we could win the uh, the grand final, but I didn't dare say it after last <laughs> week's absolute drubbing. Um, and this week, uh, I mean, it feels that he, he he can say it. I mean, during the week, people were saying, "Well, you can lose your job," and, yeah. and now we get this. So uh, <laughs> your <laughs> your coaching always, career is always on a bit of a knife edge, isn't it? I think it's, uh, it's, it's you know it's like, you know I jokingly say it's a fortnightly. <laughs> you know, two results is the end of the world, and everybody's calling for your head, and then two results and that go your way, and everybody's saying you you nailed on to be champion. So um, I think that's just the the day and age we're living at the moment. You know, with social media and and the way fans are, I suppose um, it's the, the demand an awful lot, but it's 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 difficult for for Brian. Obviously, he had the added pressure of 
probably Gary put a statement out as well during the week saying they're going to assess, see how this month yeah, goes. Not and see very helpful. How would you have felt about that? Um, yeah, probably, you know, probably not great, if I'm, if I'm being brutally honest yeah. with you. I think, you know, if we'd have come out and said, look, we're all staying rock solid here and the foundations are there and the old vote of confidence, I suppose, the dreaded vote of confidence. Mm. I think I'd have much preferred that than, than a, you know, look, let's see where we are in four games' time. But, um, you know, Leeds have got, a, got some great great players and, and I think what they've shown there is a response for the coach. Uh, he'll be over the moon with that with Brian. Lee, four games in, um, the the playoff system, I, I had it explained to me by several people. Uh, I, I think I got it, but it's not <laughs> straightforward. Um, Can you explain it to me? <laughs> if you, if you, if you actually, it. if I've been on, no, I can't. No, I can't. I can't. Um, but is there a point at which when you sort of roughly how many games where you can start to say, look, these teams are going to be there, these teams are not going to be fighting in that position, or you know, is there a point in the season? And, and if so, when when about? I think, yeah, I think the Easter period is is really really important because obviously you play the Good Friday and then you play the Bank Holiday Monday, and that's yeah. a real test of of your squad. And I think after after those. You know the, the game after that, the following you know Friday, we're going to play out this week as well. So you tend to you know the waters calm a little bit. So mm-hmm. you tend to you know everybody who's got off to a great start, and then the squad tends to get found out a little bit. And I think it happened last year with Witness. You know there was riding high at this stage of the season, top of the league, and then coming into the Easter periods, you know the, the the sort of hit a brick wall. So I think that's probably normally the time. But I think this time around they've actually put two. Two bank holiday um, fixes on again, so that's even going to yeah. be more, you know it's even going to be more testing this time. So this, this one's probably going to be unique. It's probably going to be a little bit different, but as a rule, the Easter period is when you tend to find out you know where where ultimately you're going to be at come the end of the come the end of the 23 rounds. Well, I'm sure that the coaches and the players understand that it's all about cash and maximising attendances and so on. Notwithstanding the fact that actually it is physically exhausting and probably mentally so. But anyway, uh, Lee, come back and talk to us uh, later on in the season. Actually, preferably around then and see how you're doing. Thank you very, very much. Great stuff. Thank you very much. Cheers. Time now to go to uh, Super Rugby. And as you know, we go around the three uh, principal uh, countries that provide the teams for it. Tonight it's uh, Australia's turn and uh, an old friend of uh, this show, Alex Brune. Alex, good evening or good morning. Good evening, Brian. Lovely to chat to you. Uh, last time we uh, we talked, we were saying that um, it was unfair that New Zealand, uh, oh well, South African sides didn't get to play New Zealand. But I bumped into uh, Noddy, uh, Michael Liner at Twickenham, oh, yeah. and he was saying, actually, he hasn't been that impressed with the overall quality of quite a lot of the games so far. What, what do you think? Um, well, if, if the games don't have New Zealand teams in them, yes, they're not good. But if the New Zealand teams are in them, they're pretty good. And um, essentially, you've got five New Zealand teams that are just a light year away from all the other 13 teams in the competition. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm the Reds, actually, on the weekend, uh, gave the Crusaders yeah, I watched a good that. match. Yeah, yeah. They might, they... And were leading... I mean, I... I... I don't know if you can say a team's unlucky when you know they end up on the wrong end of the score, but mm. I thought for significant periods they you know, played really well and, and perhaps you know certainly at home might have, should have looked to, to finish that out. 
Yeah, and but I mean, again, it's Australian rugby. It's it's Samu Karevi giving a, away a free a penalty right at the end when he shouldn't be playing that sort of rugby in that sort of position, yeah. you know, with 15 seconds to go. But it's just the class of the New Zealanders. It's the experience and it's the confidence. And the players who won it for the Crusaders at the end were, you know, reserve players or players who were even outside the 23 who came in due to injuries, uh, you know, who wouldn't initially be in your first 23. Uh, the, you know, the other great game on the weekend was the the Chiefs and the Hurricanes. Yeah. And the Hurricanes are, are the great entertainers of Super Rugby. They play some scintillating rugby, just as good as the All Blacks. But the Chiefs managed to get one up on them, which was and it was a match played in the rain. So this is the thing about New Zealand rugby, that they can play in so many different conditions and can still come up with some, you know, great rugby and they, and they can get the result. Alex, I was just wondering, has the, the, the start that the Australian sides have had and, and sort of criticisms about the standard of, of, of rugby on show, has it had an impact in terms of the media coverage that, 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 that rugby union is getting in Australia? Yeah, unfortunately has. And I guess it's just, it's more of the same, really. Mm. At the moment, I'm, I'm not sure if you know, but there was a big meeting, you know, probably quite close to where you are now. Um, Sanzar were getting together. They had an economic committee get together and essentially they're chatting about what they're going to do with Super Rugby going forward. Yeah. And the, the, the idea, the mooted idea is that they're going to drop two South African teams and an Australian team. So essentially you've got the, Austra- the five Australian teams are playing for their future. Yeah. And I mean, the force at the moment, the Western Australian team have produced and they had a great win over the Reds uh, last week and they were very unlucky losers this weekend to the Brumbies. But I guess the, the team that's really been so disappointing from an Australian point of view this year so far has been the Rebels, who have been absolutely dreadful. Yeah. They got absolutely hammered by the hurricane, by the Blues in their first game, and they got ripped. To, they, they let in 70 points against the Hurricanes. So, you know, it's and the Rebels have no excuse. They've got good resources down there in Melbourne. They've got Tony McGahn, as you know, over in Europe, who's a good coach with yeah. good credentials. Um, you know, they've got a great public there. They've got enough money to recruit, and there's and they've had a whole off season to prepare, and they are absolutely dreadful, the Rebels. So it's it's you know it's it's very sombre times for Australian rugby. And what happens when we get these results? The Tars also had a very bad result in South Africa. They were very heavily beaten by the Sharks, and the Sharks also calling on two new players, the new flank of the Duplessis yeah. and then Cohen Bosch. So it's it's not great times. And Alex, if if um, if if Australia were to lose uh, um, a Super Rugby side, I'm just wondering what you feel the impact would be for the national side. Um, and I say that because we were I was talking to Kenny Logan um, on Friday about mm. Scotland rugby and the development of the game, and he was saying that you know the the next key step forward is to have another club side because they're just too restricted by having two professional sides. W- would it have a detrimental impact for the the Wallabies if you were to lose a a super rugby franchise? It's, it's, it's really hard to say because the Wallabies, you know, they had a good run at the World Cup, of course, a couple of years ago, but since they've then been pretty dire and they had mm. a very, very bad year last year. And they were remembering, in, you know, in this record-equaling run that England have been on, they beat Australia four times, yeah. Yeah. Um, playing lots of different rugby. So, I'm, and the Australian team was smashed by the All Blacks. I mean, it's years since Australia even got close to beating the All Blacks. So, I mean, it's, it's difficult to imagine Australian rugby or the Wallabies in, in a, a more difficult position. And also, Michael Checker is not instilling a lot of confidence. He makes some very strange selections 
he doesn't seem to pick good players and he, he gives uh, players who are not playing well chance after chance after chance. So uh, I don't, it's hard to say really. This, the five-team system isn't really doing a lot for the Wallabies. Would a four-team do, system do more? I mean, maybe they might be a little bit more competitive. But it means that there's no rugby in Western Australia. Well, that, I'm no super rugby. Alex, I mean, this is this is the conundrum, isn't it? You want to spread the game. You want more players to play, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. However, in a professional, that costs a lot of cash. And actually, yeah. if you don't get the return from the indigenous or qualified players to put into the national team, all you do is spread them across um, franchises or you know teams, which is not the best thing. You want the concentration of talent if you can, and Actually, you know, who's to say, um, you know, Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane would not produce as much, if not more, a la Glasgow and uh, you know, Edinburgh, where these players are playing week in, week out and then going into the test team. And then you can have more cooperation between the provincial coaches and Checker or whoever's in charge. Yeah. Oh, listen, I agree with you, Brian. It's the thing is that if you if you were consolidating the the players that you have into those three provinces, then you might have three really good teams who can actually compete with New Zealand yeah. and can go over to somewhere like Christchurch or Auckland and actually or or even Wellington and actually win a game. Where at the moment they just go over and get smashed. Yeah. So you know it builds a bit of confidence and also you start to get some combinations so that when you're putting the Wallaby team together, it's only coming from three teams rather yeah. than five teams at the moment. And also, it cuts down your travel bill because there's not the long travel to Perth, or there's, you know, not the not the and the Brumbies really. I mean, it's, it's only ever going to be a small market in uh, in the ACT anyway. Mm. So if you if you cut it down to those three teams, you might see a lot of excellence. Mm. What it means is there's going to be some rugby players going back to club rugby, um, or maybe not not you know having a professional career, but. Honestly, maybe they just don't have the quality to play at that level. Well, look, if they're good and, enough, uh, they'll they'll move, and, and you know it's a pro game, and and so on. Anyway, um, I'm afraid we have to leave it there, Alex. Let's hope next time uh, we speak, probably three weeks time, that we can be a bit more optimistic um, about the about the Australian provinces. But thank you very yeah, much. And let's and let's hope England finally lose too. Right? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> See, you See you, mate. Got, Alex, actually, we know how he's doing. He's yeah, good we lad, do. He's good lad. Yeah, we're now nearly near the end of the show, but um, the feature uh, QBE feature of Lions Watch was supposed to, well, from my point of view anyway, initially be about people who, on the tangential thoughts of selectors, and might just make it. But now we're getting to the time. There's only one weekend left yeah. um, when you can make serious predictions. Now, I'd like to, you know, bear in mind, and I think Shane Williams is right. Warren Gatland is not just going to play the last set of players that he saw play well in the Six Nations, nor should he. He'll look for consistency. We'll give credit, some credit to players he knows can produce at international level and Lions level who've done it before. Um, but it, and it, So it will be an amalgam of all those things. Um, let's get a bit more specific. Do you think the halfbacks are still favoured to be the island halfbacks? I think... Um... I think the swing onometer has tilted towards England um, in terms of certainly looking at Ford and Farrell as a 10 and 12. Um, I think Sexton has the experience. Um, he was, wasn't was as effective as he was, um, I think, on his comeback. Uh, and Murray, I think, still is the outstanding scrum half. I know Wales did a brilliant job in containing him. And Webby's, uh, you know... 
Yeah, well, because he's, 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 well, it's a paper thin to me. Yeah, yeah. There's there's brilliant options there. There's what about options. this? Is a really hard one. What about second row? It's so you know I think, and it's sort of. Uh, the England, uh, you know, we've all talked about a toe J. George Cruz hasn't been there. I think Courtney Laws, for me, over the course of the tournament, has been the sort of enforcer that... He's been I, a dog, hasn't he? He's done all the... And I just wonder, as Gatlin looked and thought, that's the type of character I, I want down there because the, the Lions are going to have to play rough and ready. Uh, and, and Laws, is, he looks like... We remember him in 2010 when he burst onto the scene mm. with, under Martin. Is he going to be the new Martin Johnson? He, you know, injuries got in the way, form dipped. But I think he has, for me, been one of the sort of quiet success stories of the. He stopped inside. hitting people late as well. Um, <laughs> you know, well, he was always on the on the edge of that. And he focused. If you have that sort of player, if you want a ball carrier, you know, from a second row, which ideally you'd want one from each of the units in the the pack. Um, Launch breed is an effective. Yeah. I mean, he's had two. Was it two man of the matches? Yeah. Whatever he looks like in yeah. terms of, you know, physically and, and facially, he's an exceptionally he, effective player. Yeah, and a great workhorse. You know, if you think of what, what, in those games where England have sort of struggled a bit for their for their rhythm and, and purpose, he has been the sort of heartbeat and he's just put the work in and and been key to getting England over the line when they haven't really been playing that well um, uh, until they clicked yesterday. Um, See, so Devon Toner was right up there. I think he re- went back, you know, Alan Wynne-Jones... Um, great game against uh, Ireland, not as effective earlier on, and captaincy issues, etc. Uh, look at the the, the Grey brothers, yeah, doing really yeah. well, but yeah, fell back uh, at the uh, weekend uh, under under the physical onslaught actually yeah, as well. Yeah. I, I just think I know Mike Blair was saying earlier about you know he hopes that Gatland takes in sort of the consistency of performance, but. He also knows, and I remember in 2013 when England went to Cardiff mm. for the Wales game, and Gatlin said before that he wanted to see who would stand up in the white heat of that test because that's the kind of brutality of a, a Lions test, as, well, you, as you know. Yeah, but it, I tell you what, it won't just be the test, it'll be every other game as well. Yeah, yeah. Because, well, they're focused New Zealand, I know that in a way that people who don't live in New Zealand don't quite understand, actually. They're, you know, they're keenly awaiting this once every 12 years, and they've made sure this time that all the players are available, and without doubt, all their coaches will have sat down yeah. and looked at this itinerary and said, right, you know, we're not we're not talking about purposely injuring players, but we are talking about testing them in this way, in that way, so that we can see before we get to the tests how they react to certain defences, certain types of attack, you know, certain tactics, ball in the air, how they chase, etc., etc., so... They'll have worked all that out, and it's, you know, it's a very difficult conundrum. Uh, the Lions captaincy, just finally, the Lions captaincy was a, a much mooted thing. I, I'm, I'm still not sure you can say who it was. I do think that Dylan Hartley has moved himself forward. I'm not, you know, forward from quite a way back actually. But um, Rory Best had a bit of a difficult time. What was, um, a selection from great strength is now looking a little less so to me. It is, yeah. And I think it's increased the potential for a bolter, a sort of Martin Johnson selection. And if he was to go with that, I would be looking at Owen Farrell as a as an aggressive big test match animal who's guaranteed his starting place mm. in the side. Um, I'll tell you what, there'll be so much speculation, it'll be delicious because in our 
you know, you know what sports <laughs> editors are like. Five things we learned about this. But what if there are six or three? I don't know five things. Um, the five players will be on the plane. Well, you know, they might, you might pick it. Anyway, yeah. um, we await with interest, and it's only going to get more fever of the speculation, which can only be good no, it's brilliant for, for our rugby. profession. Yeah, absolutely. Right, that's the end of the show. Um, I wish we had another half hour, actually. You've been listening to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph and QBE Business Insurance. Many thanks to my co-host, Gavin Mayers, for joining me in the studio this week and to our producer, Abby Patterson, who's a Scotland supporter, so my deepest commiserations to her. Next week, my co-host will be the Quinns fly half and former All Black, Nick Evans. Remember, you can get in contact with us throughout the week via the hashtag FullContact. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and to leave a review. Good night. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.